HN Podcast with Miller and Dason. As we told you last week, we wanted to, this week, kind of take a look at uh, the moves, the shakings, the shaking out of what ESPN did uh, a little more than a week ago when they laid off over 100 uh, employees, many of them names that you're aware of. I mean, if you're from Iowa, and many of you listening to this are from Iowa, Chris Hassel was one of the um, ESPN talents uh, that were laid off, but Chris is hardly the only one um, that you know. I mean, Steve, I mean, I, some of the names that ESPN laid, laid off were very shocking, including Jason Stark, who I think is probably one of my favorite writers. Um, of any sport, he's a baseball writer for ESPN, and I would always go out, find his stuff. Um, NBA insider Chad Ford, NBA reporter Mark Stein, um, college football analyst Mark May was let go. Andy Katz, everybody knows Andy Katz. He's been there for 15, 16 years as ESPN's, I think, mostly lead college basketball analyst. Um I mean, the the list goes on and on. There's probably some names that you know off the top of your head that maybe of you know Jerry Punch. We all know Jerry Punch. Ed Warder. Yeah, Ed Warder, uh, an NFL um, and, and uh, NFL analyst, one of the better NFL analysts there is in the business. So this goes on and on and on. Danny Cannell was let go. Trent Dilfer. Trent Dilfer, who I think pound for pound might be their best NFL analyst, but you'll notice that. That the that well, Canell maybe notwithstanding, that the that the more serious uh, analysts, news gatherers, were sacrificed. Who were not let go, were the people that do these fake debate shows. Yeah. Like I, like I, 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 I don't know what that is at six o'clock. They run on ESPN. I don't know what it is. I can promise but you, I, I have no clue what it is because well, no idea. I, I'm assuming that what they put in promos are the highlights to get you to watch. Which is why I've never watched, because I don't know what that is that Jamel Hill and um, oh the other guy Michael, who's actually a really good NFL reporter in another life. I don't know what that is they're doing. Some variety show. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know what that is. You know, and you've got uh, Max Kellerman and Screaming A and everything else. All those guys all kept their jobs. Okay. Right. And. Uh, they were sacrificed for people that do more serious work. And I think that, if anything, I think the impact of this story is actually being undersold. Well, Audience is our own. Right. And, and those are some of the things that we're going to explore tonight uh, as we record this late Sunday evening, May the 7th, I believe it is. And talk about those ramifications, because I I think we both believe they're going to be far reaching and the primary undercurrents for why these things happen, at least in my opinion, are the things that are going to be far reaching into our future. Why don't I start out by saying, giving my opinions on why I think this happened? I think you and I agree probably, I would say, 85 percent. But I think there's a little 15%, maybe more. I don't want to put a percentage in your mouth, and you can explain here in a bit. You think there's another reason. Uh, to me, Steve, I mean, Sports Center, 
is simply not that good anymore. It's nothing like what it used to be. What it used to be, in my opinion, was appointment TV for pretty much every sports fan I knew. Maybe it was because I was in my teens and 20s, and and I lived for that stuff back then. But every night, the personalities were big. You had Keith Olbermann, Dan Patrick, which to me was the pinnacle of SportsCenter. I loved Craig Kilborn. He was hilarious. He was on from, I think, around 93 to 96. Um, But I don't think we, as sports fans, in 2017 – need sports center anymore we get all the highlights we want and need on demand i mean every night before i go to bed during baseball season i go to mlb.com and i can watch every highlight that i want from my favorite team or teams that i'm interested in and i don't have to i don't have to wade through the other stuff uh, that sports center has on to get what i want i don't watch baseball tonight i don't watch sports center truly this is true i sent you a text Well, nobody's that- watching baseball tonight anymore because that show's gone is it really see i didn't even know yeah, before that, it's gone now. It's on once a week now. Before Sunday Night Baseball, Carl Rabbit and all those guys were all let go too. Yep, didn't even know. That's how much I don't watch it. I mean, I texted you a couple of weeks ago when I was on the road, and I said, "Hey, Sports Center is unwatchable, and truly the only times that I do watch it is when I am on the road." And it's morning. I wake up and I'm conducting some business before I go out and travel and see people and talk to people. And I just have it on in the background, really. I mean, Chris Hassel has enormous amounts of talent. We both talked about that last week. ESPN never used a scintilla of what his true talents were. They had him basically being a sports center anchor when that doesn't even begin to touch what he can do. There are two reasons, in my opinion, and in my opinion, these are the primary reasons why ESPN finds itself in the position it's in now and how this, it, what they did with these layoffs is really ceremonial. And the younger demographic, I don't know exactly what age bracket I would put on it, but people younger than you and me, but you and I are also, I don't want to say that we're technically savvy because some people might laugh who are really technically savvy, but we know our way around the interwebs. Um, you know, we are, you know, probably power Twitter users. We're familiar with, with such technology and, and the advantages of using social media to our advantage with our various brands. Yet the younger demographic, they don't need SportsCenter. They don't need 400 channels that they only watch 20 of. So they're cutting the cord they are getting rid of DirecTV or Dish Network or, you know, Mediacom or Cox Cable, whatever your cable company is that you're listening to. They are getting rid of that archaic business model, the cable bundle business model. They're cutting the cord. They've got their PlayStation views, their Hulu's this and whatever other ways that you can go and watch. They're, they're getting the skinny bundles that various outlets are offering and that cost much, much less than what cable TV has cost through the years. And with the pervasiveness and the growing reach of high-speed Internet, that will continue to grow. I, th- I think 10 years from now, radio signals and radio towers like WHO and other venerable and powerful 
powerful um, media outlets of the past, as we see iHeartRadio is you know, considering bankruptcy right now, their towers are going to be used to help create a Wi-Fi blanket over rural parts of the country so that more and more people can enjoy a base level of high-speed Internet. And then they can get these skinny bundles. They can cut their cords. And that is, to me, reason A why ESPN is in the trouble it's in. And reason 1A is they've paid too much money for the rights to broadcast live sporting events. $1.9 billion per year for a decade for the NFL. $1.4 billion per year for nine years for the NBA, which I find preposterous. Then again, I'm not the target demo. I maybe watch two regular season games a year and five or six playoff games a year because I don't really care anymore about the NBA. Major League Baseball, $700 million per year for eight years, and that's a regional sport. That's a re- you know, baseball is doing fine television-wise at the local uh, level. Um, but na- it's, not, it's not a national sport anymore. There is no player who's the face of baseball anymore the way that it was when we were kids. College football, $470 million per year for 12 years. Those two things, in my opinion, the cord cutting and the rights fees, are the reasons why ESPN finds itself in the dire straits that it does and why that's not going to stop anytime soon. And I think those two things, pretty much mostly all by themselves, is what's led to this point. I, um, systemically, I agree with you. Uh, and the reason I agree with you is because everything you said is fact. Uh, it's not opinion. Um, ESPN was always going to come to this fork in the road. And just to throw some numbers around to give our audience some perspective. I mean, ESPN gets about $8, I think it is, for every cable subscriber. I think it's nine, yeah. All right. So at its peak, they were over 100 million subscribers a month. That's $8 times 100 million a month before you sell a single ad. Mm-hmm. That's, as the kids say today, stupid money. Okay? I mean, that's just absolutely stupid money. And now you're right. Um, we are seeing a revolution in, in all of our industries. And you mentioned iHeartRadio. I'm glad you brought them up. Because, you know, depending on the way you look at it, if you look at revenues, it's iHeartRadio. If you look at, at, at stations and signals owned, it's Cumulus. But, but by at least one metric, they're the largest radio conglomerate on this continent. And two weeks ago, their CEO sent a letter to their investor saying that unless we can get $14 billion in loans, billion with a B, billion, $14 billion in loans forgiven, we're done. We're done. And just to show people who's iHeartRadio, well, that's Clear Channel. Clear Channel's, one of Clear Channel's subsidiaries is the largest radio syndicator in the country known as Premier. Who's Premier? Rush Limbaugh. Well, it used to be Jim Rome. I think he's actually with Fox now. Or I mean, no, CBS. CBS now. He was with Fox, which is, which is Clear Channel. But that's Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, many of the biggest names in all of talk radio. Um, so, I mean, this is re- – and, and, and Clear Channel switched to iHeart several years ago to get try to get ahead of what was coming here with right. the digital digitalization of the industry. Now, now the, the cord cutting is an issue, but so is the ad revenue an issue. 
people we, we are struggling to fi- all of us are struggling to figure out how to monetize the internet because if you look at and you know this terminology better than I do but it wasn't it was just two or three years ago that if you were a ret and link if you were a nerdy nummies and if people are freak are, are frequent YouTube users or watch those shows with their families they know what I'm talking about I mean ret and link will get 10 to 15 million views on a YouTube video mm-hmm and even as recently as two or three years ago, they could make one heck of a living just off of the residuals of, of, of Google AdSense from clicks with right. that kind of viewage. But but you're watching those rates are now collapsing. Very much and, so. And, and Facebook is going to launch its own YouTube competitor through Facebook Live here soon, or already has, but they're going to they're going to include ads in that now. And, and of course, when you have more competition, what happens to rates? They go, go down. down. When you have more programming, you mentioned a station like WHO. We are, you know, we are now entering the the uh, the arena. When I left WHO, this was one of the things I was thinking about. You know, just to just to give our audience an idea from a personal standpoint. When I left WHO, I made eighty six thousand dollars a year. That is a pretty good living in Des Moines, Iowa. In fact, that's a pretty good living in most places that aren't major expensive cities like. I would say that probably 80% of the people listening to this at a minimum didn't make that. No, in fact, only about only, I think it's less than 30% of American households bring home more than 75 grand a year. Right. I think is what it is. All right. So that's that I'm not complaining about the living I was making, but the show that I did on WHO build anywhere from 800,000 a year to a million a year. And I'm the show, frankly, which meant I was barely making maybe 10% of the revenue that show drew. Now, you might say I'm a terrible negotiator. That's Here's the, the first thought that I had. Here's the problem. Where am I negotiating from? If people, so, so people understand, you want to know how I got switched from KXNO to WHO? I'll tell the audience. John, you know, so I'll tell the audience. What happened is a guy that, the guy that ran 98.3 FM at that time, which was the, a national, run by the national competitor to Clear Channel, wanted to create a station that would compete with WHO, came to my house, we were living in Urbandale at the time, and literally handed me a blank check and said, as long as the amount of money is not too great, within reason, you tell us what time slot you want, what amount of money you want, and uh, we'll move you and we'll build an entire talk radio station around you to go after WHO. Well, Van Harden and I used that, that offer as the, as the leverage point to get Clear Channel to finally switch me to WHO, which was Van's um, goal from the day that they hired me in, at, at KXNO. Well, I got a nice raise. It was nowhere near what I would have made going to work at 98.3. But that was the leverage point. But then when 98.3 was no longer a serious competitor, unless I wanted to pick up and move my family to another market and you know the management at WHO knew I didn't want to do that, I have no negotiating power. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 there's, there, there's, without, without an alternative, I have nothing to negotiate. So the way that I would compensate for that is you and I made a nice little chunk of change doing that show on Mediacom television for a few years, right, that yep. people liked at the time. Well, Clear Channel Corporate decided they didn't want me doing anything that they didn't own. Why? Well, because they, they were concerned, and they were doing this with all of their local talent around the country, with the advent of the Internet. They were concerned that their, that their talent would go out there and be able to monetize blogs, podcasts, things of that nature. And if their talent can monetize things they don't control, that means they now lose their leverage with the talent. And the talent doesn't need to work with Clear Channel anymore to get to an audience. 
Well, I get that. I, I get that if I'm a company giving somebody a, pl- a platform and they wouldn't have a platform without me, I should make, I, I should get my, you know, the, the lion's share of that. I don't deny that. All right. The owner of the Green Bay Packers makes more money than Aaron Rodgers for a reason. Because Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have any money if no we doubt. weren't a Green Bay Packers. I no get doubt. that. But what you can't tell me is on one hand, I'm going to pay you way below market value. I'm going to pay you barely 10% of what your show actually generates. And, and the sale, and then, while, while the sales department's netting 15%. Exactly. And then I'm going to tell you, you can't do anything on the side to compensate for that. Right. Now, my argument was, if you want to own me, fine, then pay me a quarter of a million dollars a year, and then you can own everything I do. But they didn't want to do that. Well, because they were concerned about the era we're getting into right now where the technology would become so available that anybody becomes a star. Anybody, it doesn't matter. if Soon it will not matter that Rush Limbaugh is on 600 radio stations because some ham and egger from Missoula, Montana is going to be on, is going to be on TuneIn or iHeart and is going to have – and just as many people will be able to find him anywhere in the country, provided there's a Wi-Fi signal or 4G, as they can find Rush Limbaugh. That's, and, that, and, and that means ad rates and everything else go down. Now, one of the ways we're, we're, we're reacting to this in conservative media is we're just bypassing the ad model altogether. And this is what The Blaze does. This is what Conservative Review, where I, where I work, does, or The Daily Wire does, which is just say to people, hey, if you want what we do, if you want our product, just pay us 5 10 15 bucks a month, and we'll give it to you. That way we don't have to worry about it, and it's a direct relationship with the consumer. And you're going to see a lot more of that, like a Netflix model, like what you're seeing in general entertainment. Well, this all has had huge impact as well on ESPN. And they had the most to lose. Uh, what, what, and, and, and there's no question that all the factors you just mentioned, plus some of the backstory I fill in with my own personal experience, was going to lead to a decline at ESPN. I don't, that's not a debatable point. But if peop, I, I really think people don't understand the impact that their increasing partisan political stance has taken. And I think it has made what was a tough situation tougher. I think it's made where we're already going to be cutbacks deeper. I, and, I, and here's why. It's just simple supply and demand. When your product, when people are beginning to realize they can live without your product, the worst thing to do is to narrow your potential audience at that point. Now, let me give you an example. And I love it when I hear from people, uh, this, didn't, this, is not, this had nothing to do with it. Ignore the millions of people tweeting and putting on Facebook that it had some. They're all, they're all figments of imagination. Let me give you an example. The wife's yelling at me. Hey, why are we paying $200 a month to DirecTV or to Cox Cable or to, you know, pick or, or, you know, Time Warner? Why are we doing this? You know, you want ESPNs? I just want to watch Lifetime and, and, and HG and Food Network. That's on Hulu for what a month? You know, what's the big deal? And, and we don't have to worry about DVRing stuff because Hulu archives everything anyway. So we can still watch it whenever we want, just a day later than live. So what's the dig? What's the big deal? Why are we paying all this money? And and you're sitting there one day, and you're watching the NFL draft with your kid, who's eight, nine, ten years old, and you're having some dad son time. And lo and behold, ESPN fast forwards. Hey, hey, let's go live to Michael Sam's pad, so we can watch him and his boyfriend do the first ever live on television, nationally televised homosexual makeout cake smash session. And you're looking at your son, and he's looking at you, and you both have this look like, what in the Sam Hill is this? And you know what you think in a moment like that? I'll tell you what you think, because I know. Because I got emails from dads all over the country at moments like this when they do this stuff. 
You know what? I was just sitting there thinking, the wife's on my ass anyway. Why are we paying for this? You know what? That was kind of the moment I thought to myself, you're right, honey. Why are we paying for this? Click. Don't give people reasons to say no when they already have a reason to say no. When they did this, they, they essentially insulted their own audience. They made, a, they made a determination very clearly. They made a determination, we're going to do sports media for, 15, for the 15% of counties that voted for Hillary Clinton last year. They did. And, and you know, it's funny, John, how many times have I been on MSNBC the last five years? At least 30, 40? I was just on there Friday. I'm about as, I'm, I guarantee I'm the most right-wing guy that's ever been on MSNBC without getting arrested. Okay? <laughs> and, and I will tell you this. When I go on MSNBC, half the time, I know I'm going to get ambushed because they love to tell me we're going to talk about one topic and then switch it up on me on the air. But you know I love that crap, so I don't care. Okay? But I am more free, and I feel like my viewpoint is more represented when I'm on a panel on MS freaking NBC than when I'm sitting on an elliptical for 20 minutes watching ESPN. That's not the way this works, John. No, no business model can sustain this. And this is something I have a lot of experience with because I'm my, for, for about five years, my name was Talk Sports Days to half of Des Moines. Okay? Why? Because it's, it's impossible to do a sports talk show in Des Moines in June, July, and it May, June, and July. Essentially, from the NFL draft until conference, the Big Ten and Big 12 media days, it's just damn near impossible to do a show unless, unless you want to sit around and hope kids get busted for DUIs and stuff like that. So I would often talk non-sports stuff. But the one thing I never would do is politicize sports themselves. Like it would never dawn on me. If a few months ago, I was on an elliptical watching the fake debate show on ESPN. And the whole debate between Kellerman and Smith was, and you know I can't stand Donald Trump. You know that. I can't stand him. But the, on a personal level, I just think the guy is just an, an, an goes out of his way to be a douchebag. Yeah, he, he, he wanted you to come run his campaign. Yeah, well, yeah, let's keep that between us. But yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> the whole debate they had on ESPN one morning was was is it right that Tom Brady is friends with Donald Trump? I, the dude is the president of the United States. I gee, I can't imagine. And if he, and if he's as bad of a person as you think he is, then maybe somebody who's like a winner at life, like Tom Brady, being his friend, might be a good idea. What, what, what kind of a topic is that? Would they have ever? Would, and would they have? John, you and I both know the answer to this question. Would they have had the debate the other way? Is it right for so and so, pick a pick an athlete? To be chummy chummy with Barack Obama. Is that right? Would they have done that? Of course not. No. And see, and that's the problem you create. You are, you are now, it's not just that you are bringing non-sports issues. You are, after all, the entertainment and sports programming network. That's what ESPN stands for. But you are politicizing the sports. I would have never thought to myself, I can't believe Kirk Ferentz voted for Tom Vilsack. And Vilsack did this blank blank. I never did that show. Never would have thought about it because you don't crap where you live. You don't do that. And that's what ESPN did. And they did it at the worst possible time. Now, do I think this is why they are in, de- incline, de- in decline? No. I don't think it, and I don't have a clue how much it has to do with it. It might be 5%, 15 20%. All I know is the worst thing to do when people are already figuring out they can live without your business model is to give them more reasons to do so. In fact, how did ES even Linda Cohn, the longest serving Sports Center anchor, 
consecutive perennially in the history of the network. Told the New York Post two weeks ago, absolutely had something to do with it. And and that's the the worst thing to do when you don't have a captive audience is give people reason to go other places. And and how did ESPN respond the very next day after they after all these layoffs? They responded by launching feminist. I'm not making this up. Three poetries on feminism, including one of them from a freaking cop killer who fled to Cuba for extradition to avoid extradition, which, 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 which when that came out, they eventually had to take her poem down. Now, John, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know every all 321 million people in the United States of America, but I would venture to guess. In fact, I'm going to put good money on this one. I'll bet you everything I own. Not a single damn one of them ever got up one morning and said, you know what? After I'm done checking on my fantasy baseball team, I'm going to head over to ESPN.com and read some feminist poetry. I'll just guarantee MC that's never happened, John, in the history of America. Never. Never. So they made a conscientious decision to get to the left of MSNBC to essentially, if, if, if you know, our, our, our more progressive listeners will get this reference. They basically turned ESPN into the Young Turks. And they took something where people thought, this is my escape away from what is from all the crap I have to put up with in the real world. And they instead took the sanctuary and the refuge of sports away from people. And they did it at the worst possible time. Now, just to demonstrate why I don't think this is this is why they went they went down, because if they would have done this in 1997, I think we would, at the dawn of the blogging age, I think we would have written a lot of conservative blogs really pissed off about it. But those blogs would have been, but I have to watch because that's where all my favorite teams are. I got nowhere else to go. You see my point? Mm -hmm. Okay. If they would have done this 10 years ago, it would have pissed a lot of people off, but I don't think it would have cost them really any subscribers. But the fact they chose to do this now, when their business model is imploding, and I saw that I had a BuzzFeed reporter call me because he was doing a big feature on this two weeks ago or last week, and he had, he actually called me to have me respond directly to the president of ESPN's re- re- refuting that politics had anything to do with this. And he said, "Well, partisan politics is why we're going down. Then why doesn't it hurt Fox?" And I laughed out loud when the BuzzFeed reporter said this to me. Again, I can't stand Fox News. It's freaking Russia today for Trump. It's I, I, I don't know. It's not. Cons- I don't know what it is. It's just a mouthpiece for Trump. And it just tarnishes my conservatism as far as I'm concerned. So I don't watch that crap either. But I said to the BuzzFeed reporter, Fox's brand is politics. People watch it for this. Right. ESPN's brand is not this. This is not why people watch it. They're going against their own brand. That's a dumb, dumb comparison. And the fact the head of ESPN wants to play himself off of Fox only reinforces how hyper-partisan progressive they have become, that that's their default to say, well, Fox gets away with it. You're not competing with Fox, dumbass. You're ESPN. You're doing sports. That's the point. The fact you think Fox is your competitor is confirmation of this problem, actually. And so 10 years ago, if they had done this, 20 years ago, if they had done this, they would have pissed off a lot of the same people. But those same people would have been like, I got to watch my teams. There's no Big Ten network to catch the games. There's no there's no alternatives. I can't cord cut. I can't do any of this stuff. But now that you're going to do this to me when I can, you just gave me another reason to say and the horse you rode in on. So I definitely think it is a factor. It is not the cause. But it's a little bit like when you have um, when you when you have, um, uh, you, you know, you know, a. a um, 
uh, a, 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 a pneumonia and you decide pneumonia could kill me if I don't treat it properly. But you know what I'm going to do? Now's a good time to start doing camel non-filters, two packs a day. Okay? Now, you already had pneumonia, a systemic problem that was going to kill you if, not, if you were not careful. So the camel non-filters are not what's killing you. You just picked, but you just helped the pneumonia. And you just picked the worst possible time to pick up that habit. Does that, does that explain where I'm coming from on sure, that? Sure, sure. Cause of death is pneumonia, but, um, you know, you, did, you didn't need the... Uh... You didn't need to hit the nitrous oxide switch at the same time. Um, yes. Now, now there's another aspect. Did you want to respond to that before I bring up? I, I just I wanted to bring up the cone thing. I, I I can't I can't say that you're right or wrong. I, I don't. I, I like the last analogy you put in actually, which I think helps defend what you're saying as much as possible. I mean, my first question to you is: When did you cancel ES? When did you cancel your cable? You, I still have direct TV. I've exactly. had direct TV since 2000. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so you so you you haven't done it yet and I don't I think that that's probably fairly representative. But Linda Cohn, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, I, I just wanted to read her quotes. She said, "Quote, I felt that the old school viewers were put in a corner and not appreciated with all these other changes and they forgot their core. You can never forget your core and be grateful for your group." Cohn was asked if she feels there is a, quote, distaste among viewers for the programming decisions, end quote. She said, quote, I don't know how big a percentage, but if anyone wants to ignore that fact, then they're blind. So there, I mean, Linda's, you know, she, she I think, would agree with the, the, the crux of what you're saying. And I think that I mean, there are back, other people as well. The years of, you mentioned the years of Overman and Patrick. That was back in the day, man. Must see TV. And I remember having to be up, as you like to tease me, working for Manpower, 7 a.m. the next morning in, in Michigan, which was East Coast time, so an hour ahead. But, dude, I didn't care how much sleep I wasn't going to get. You had to watch the 11 p.m. Sports Center. Even though I knew all the scores and everything else, I just had to get Oberman and Patrick. It was entertaining. It was classic. It was only years later. Now, I'm guessing Keith Oberman just did not suddenly become a neo-Marxist in around 2003 when he got a gig on MSNBC. All right, so he was probably a neo-Marxist all those years he was on ESPN. Hell, I didn't know. I didn't care. Dude was just damn funny. I couldn't miss an episode. Now, they tried to bring him back a few years ago after he ran off of MSNBC random. And what happened? Well, he didn't want to do that. He wanted to do MSNBC of sports. So that show flamed out. Andy Katz. You know, I follow all these guys on Twitter. Andy Katz is a flaming progressive, flaming progressive, progressive. He's also one of the best damn reporters they had. It was a crock that got rid of him and kept some of the other crappy people that they have. So, I mean, if you're excellent at your job, most Americans of every ideological persuasion, unless they're just one of the, unless you're one of those people that thinks, if you disagree with me, you're a bigot or Hitler. Now, that's not a lot of people, frankly. It's just a lot of people who have Twitter accounts. But it's not a lot of people. And 4% of America, I think it is, has a Twitter account. Most Americans don't act like that. All right? So unless you're in one of those, one of those camps, and both sides has that camp, unfortunately. I know I run afoul of both sides' camps at the same time half the time. But unless you're in that camp, most people just are like – it's like I said to the BuzzFeed reporter. You're giving middle America too much credit on Michael Sam. I said, most of middle America is like, dude, man, I, I really don't care if the dude's screwing a car battery. Can he get me 12 to 15 sacks? No? All right, then I don't want him playing for my team, period. I don't care. 
You guys made people take positions on things they don't even care about. They didn't want to take positions on. That was your problem. You shoved it. Maybe this is the wrong metaphor given the subject matter, but you shoved it down their throats. And when you do that to people, they trust me, I have a little bit of experience with this. When you shove things down people's throats, particularly at a time that they are not expecting that from you, but are coming to you for something else, you really piss them off and they start rooting against you. And that's exactly what happened here. And, you know, I, I, most people are like, if you do your job well and you entertain me or provide me a service I can't get somewhere else, I don't really care what your politics are. I care what your politics are when, they, when you think that's a replacement for you doing your job. And I think that's exactly what happened here at ESPN, John. Well, so that leads us to where they are, which is what we sort of set forth um, earlier. They are in a lot of trouble. They are shedding millions, tens of millions of dollars a month. I mean, y- y- you you said it earlier. If let's if it's nine dollars, and they've lost twelve million nine dollars a month, and they've lost twelve million subscribers. That's over a hundred million dollars a month of revenue that they've lost over a billion dollars a year. Even I can add up that math and it's not going to stop anytime soon. More and more people. I I think the things I laid out have, you know, would represent a higher percentage, but you're right. You don't want to give people who are already contemplating breaking up with you more reason to do so. Um, And quite frankly, I'm considering doing something like that. I'm considering getting a skinny bundle um, when we make our move here in a couple of weeks to a house, although I don't know, I think 18 megs down is the fastest internet I'm going to get because we're kind of moving out in the country. So I, I maybe not do that. But at any rate, what does it mean for the future? And I think that that, while the story that we've discussed is a big story, I mean, it's a huge story when something like ESPN that's woven into the fabric of every sports fan who basically every sports fan in the United States at a minimum. So that's a big story in and of itself. But I think the bigger story is yet to come. I think you and I probably agree with that. You made a couple of tweets and let's just go there and see where this heads out on April 29th. So less than 10 days ago. Pursuant to what you thought the future fallout of ESPN's, you know, the decline of the business model, the cable bundle model. The first tweet you sent was the college football playoff will be expanded to eight teams for more revenue because of the massive conference right fees from ESPN will no longer be there. And then number two, you said the Big 12 will be toast. There's not enough conference rights money for them now as it is, even without ESPN's demise. And there will then be just four power conferences by 2026. Let's go back to the first one. College football playoff expanding to eight to compensate for their rights fees. That seems like the most logical reason to expand. I mean, you've seen people, coaches, pundits, um, in recent years, since the advent of this Final Four, say no, man, we're, we're not, we're not going to eight. We're not going to eight. We're, we like this four, and it's mostly a lot of the talking heads that want to see it go to eight, and and some fans, maybe if you pulled them, they'd want to see it go to eight because who doesn't want more college football? I don't think the coaches necessarily do. I don't think the universities necessarily do. 
But I think that what you lay out because of this loss of revenue, that in that right there is the most compelling reason that it likely will go to eight. All right. So what I'm about to say, I say as someone who part of my job description is talking head, uh, frankly. But uh, I think people put too much stock at times in what we say. I mean, for our younger listeners, the the talking heads for 30 years said they got to go to a playoff. They have no. They didn't go to a playoff. Okay. And they only they only went to a playoff when they had to from a revenue standpoint. That's what they did. We had split national champions, non-national champions. I mean, they didn't care about any of that crap. They they did it when the revenue was required. That's when they went to the playoff. And the and I think that the and that the people that actually run college football, the presidents, the ADs, staunchly against expanding the playoff. Staunchly against it. All right, so the idea that what's inevitable that they were going to be, well, I guess if you think, you know, it was inevitable in 1965 that there was going to be a playoff. Yeah, I guess it was inevitable. They didn't launch it until 2014. Okay? So, yeah, I guess you're like, if you're the economist who predicts a damn recession every year, sooner or later, I guess you're going to be right. It was inevitable I was going to be right, you know, because there's a business cycle. So, I guess, yeah, if your argument was it was inevitably we're going to go to eight. And your and your inevitable is at some point before Jesus returns. Then yeah, you're right. But but it was not in it. And the people that actually run this sport are vehemently against expanding because they don't want to lose the regular season gates and all the other stuff. But if that if the rights fees are going away, well that's the built-in business model for college sports. And now you're at the point that therefore that you, where where do we can we expand? Well, where you expand your value is with the, is at the top with the most like teams, the most well-known teams, and that's with the playoff. And I think let me do this, John, for, for people that because I, I I'm coming more to as I got a 16 year old who drives now and talks to me like a grown woman with a full face of makeup. It's becoming more apparent how much older I'm getting. So not to take things for granted. For people that are younger that are listening to this. And maybe even for our own age group or older that don't remember what things were, what were once like. I listened to an interview with Gary Barnett over the weekend on Sirius XM. And, you know, Gary Barnett, you forget sometimes how good of a coach he was. Yeah, I, I'm guessing the list of guys who are two-time conference coaches of the year in the Big Ten and the Big 12 is probably pretty small. All right? So this guy's a big time, was a great coach. And, and he told the story of how things, have cha- how things changed when he was coaching. And he said, you know, when I was when I was at Northwestern and we were ascending as a program in the early to mid 90s, that was the advent of the installation of Title IX. And he said Title IX was so devastating, uh, you know, doing gender equity costs for non-Olympic sports and for women's sports that don't draw any revenue like football or men's basketball. Do. He said that was such a debilitating budget problem for even a league like the Big Ten when I was in it, he said. That even though we added Penn State to the conference and that upped our value as elite, Jim Delaney mandated that all teams taking road trips of less than 400 miles had to take the bus. That was the extent, he said, of just how they were cutting costs across the board. He said, now, dude, everybody takes charter flights for everything. Why? Television revenue. That's just, that's just, that's just one anecdotal example of what we're talking about. The, so, so you take that money away, away and, something and something else has to replace it. it. Now, now, some of it some will, of be will be replaced. Be replaced. I think I we'll think go back, we'll to, back seeing to seeing a lot of these events on network television like when we were kids. I think you'll I think you'll see Netflix and Hulu and Voodoo and some of these apps try to get in. Facebook, Twitter, try to get in the game of maybe hosting some of these events. 
But, but again, again, more competition, more competition isn't, isn't going, going to make, to make the, 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 the re- re- it's going to make the revenues go down. So ESPN was the built-in brand that everybody had to have that was locked into well over 100 million homes. Nothing else that is going to be created outside of network television is going to be able to say that they can do that. And ad ad revenues of network television are down across the board because of all the competition we're talking about, which means the money that they can pay goes down too. I mean, look at the money Fox just gave the Big Ten for second-tier rights. Would they have paid that much money if ESPN didn't have the money it had for the first-tier rights? Well, of course not. That's simple economics. You see what I'm I'm starting to get at here, John? So that money has to be replaced by something. What's the most valuable commodity that they have? The playoffs. That's the most valuable commodity that they have. And I think think at a financial necessity, when you have Michigan paying Jim Harbaugh $9 million a year with three assistants making over a million, Alabama paying Nick Saban $11 million a year with two assistants making over a million and another one making $950,000. All right. All right. That money's got to come from somewhere, somewhere unless you want it, unless you're the NHL, NHL and you just implode. And, and that means you've got a revenue source that people want more of. And, and are there, you know, what do people want more of? Do they want more of the belt ball or do they want more of the playoff? Well, they're going to want more of the playoff. And that's where the revenue is going to come from. Don't disagree. Um, and, and that, you know, I could start going down a line of maybe where I think football is going to be in 25 years anyway. And, and if the money's not there and the concussions and the medical researches are there to support it, it's not a pretty picture, but we'll leave that aside. Your second point, the Big 12 will be toast. We're talking about the Rasputin of college football conferences in the Big 12. You're saying the Big 12 will be toast. There's not enough conference rights money for them now, even without ESPN's demise, and we will be in a Power 4 situation, Power 4 conference situation by 2026. So you really think that that's – that old Yeller's going to go down this time. I do. I, I mean, and, and here's why. Again, it's this is simple logic. The Big 12 only survived this time because ESPN came up with a massive amount of money to pay the league not to merge with the Pac-10. That's why it survived this time. That's that's it. The league, the ESPN did not want to have to pay massive rights fees, uh, and and the Pac-10 is Fox, so they were going to lose that. So they paid up an amount of money to stop the Big 12 from essentially doing what it did to form in the first place. When Texas Tech and Baylor, because Ann Richards, the governor, and much of the legislature at the time were Baylor grads, and Texas um, uh, and TCU, well, not TCU, came in later. But when those schools bolted to join the Big 8 to save the old Southwest Conference, this was going to be a repeat of history. Several of these schools, and it was Texas Tech, Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, um, I can't remember who the other couple were. We're going to bolt to the Pac-10 and merge. ESPN put up the money to avoid that happening. Well, it's simple mathematics, okay? If ESPN was the entity that came up with this money in 2010 to stop this from going down the first time, and, and since that's happened, what's occurred is ESPN has decided there isn't enough money to create a Big 12 network, which is what they decided last year, and then the next year after they decide there's not enough money to create a Big 12 network, so it has another revenue stream to keep it together, they instead, they instead say, we got to do massive cutbacks for all the reasons we just articulated. Well, do the math, John. What are the alternatives? Right. 
Why, so, why, if, so, so why would Fox? Why would Fox come in and save the Big 12? Fox would be better off having the Big 12, Pac-10, Pac-12 merge. Right. Take the four top teams from the Big 12, create a super conference, because they already own the rights to the Pac-12. And then if, it, if they, they right, and if they didn't do that, if they didn't merge with the Pac-12, Pac what other conference are a lot of those schools potentially likely to align with? SEC and the Big Ten. And the Big Ten has is owned fifty one percent. Big Ten Network is owned fifty one percent by whom? By Fox. Right. Indeed. Yeah. So I think that it's just simple deductive reasoning. The factors that kept the Big Twelve in place no longer are there now. Well, then, after after this contract expires in twenty twenty six, what would be anybody's incentive to stay? What would be their incentive to stay? Well, Steve, what about the Longhorn Network? Well, I think the Longhorn Network is probably more of a problem for the Pac-12 because it doesn't have a sustainable network. It has a network, but it doesn't have a lot of exposure, carriage. Um, you can't get it everywhere. It's not a basic channel on DirecTV, or, for example. But um, the Big Ten could easily absorb the Longhorn Network. Uh, that's not an issue for the Big Ten at all. Just tell Texas, you know what, that's your network. And um, we'll split revenues with you, whatever you make off the Longhorn. But you, you may you, you may not have to do that because who is the Texas partner for the Longhorn? Well, that's network? ESPN. ESPN's paying them. What is it, ten million a year or something like that for that network? Right. That nobody and, watches. And, you're right. And, and ESPN's in trouble. So it's the exact same thing like you're talking before. ESPN. Yes. They're bidding against themselves. It's not going to happen. It'll be yes. dead. Yeah, I agree. And then if you expand the playoff to eight, you can see how this make, works itself out very simply. You have four power conferences, and the four conference champions make it, and then the committee decides who the other four teams are and what the seating is. So you still have the drama of the committee that gets ratings. You can still put out your top 25 they do every week for, for attention. But all four power conference teams make it, and the other four co- bids are decided by the committee. Yeah, I could see that. I, I might be as much in favor of splitting each of those power four conference teams up into two divisions and have your eight division winners make it. But um, people might not like having a true conference champion in that regard. Um, but yeah, maybe you're right. Or the conference champion, the, the divisional championship games are the are the eight team playoff, and you have the teams from the same conference play. But that wouldn't be a true seeding. So. Now, my, 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 if we're going to go down this road, I've, I've always, I was, you and I have always been non-playoff people. I've always been, I'm okay with the final four because right. we love the sanctity of the regular season and we yes. like the Bulls. But if we're going to go, if we're going to expand it past four, then to me, just do away with Bulls and then have a 32-team playoff and just do away with Bulls altogether. Well, who's the network that televises most of the Bulls? ESPN. ESPN. And who is having and, a money and, problem? And these, and these games draw flies, but they get good ratings. I mean, I think it was last year, it was some some December bowl game of nobodies outdrew Kentucky and North Carolina in prime time on CBS in a December college basketball. That's true. Okay. Yeah, that's true. 
So, I mean, these are made for television affairs from an advertiser. And you sell, and, and a big name advertising company who has the title sponsorship at a bowl gets three and a half hours of name ID branding on ESPN. Not to mention all the college football magazines and coverage that mention their brand as well. So, these are all made for TV affairs. And you're right, if the company that put up the money for all these isn't available to do that anymore, then there's going to have to be some replacement for that. You're exactly right about that. I mean, Go ahead. If they went to eight, what would be interesting with these bowl games is I think if you go to if you expand the playoff to eight, um, the Leonard Fournettes, the Christian McCaffreys who choose not to play in a bowl game that doesn't have any meaning whatsoever, even though a lot of those never really have. I think you'll see a lot more of those guys. So these bowl games may turn into de facto, uh, you know, spring football developmental events for younger players on your 2D roster who didn't get a chance to play, but they're now going to play because a lot of these guys are going to go for theirs for the NFL draft and not risk getting hurt. You're right. You know, and I, I'm, I mentioned on the podcast, I did this last year. I'm doing it again this year. You know, uh, uh, going on YouTube and essentially going watching whole seasons of college football. And you know, when I last year I watched the entire 1986 college football season, and you get to the bowl games, and it's amazing. A lot of these games are sold out, man. Like the December bowl games, like the Sun Bowl, sold out. You know, we we struggle to sell out citrus bowls in some cases now on new year's day why do you think that is yeah. as far as why were they sold out back then i think they were major more they were more big time events there, there just wasn't an oversaturation of the games as well yeah there, there wasn't there wasn't you had a, maybe 20 bowl games at the most and most of these teams you don't always you didn't always get a chance to see them where you lived and uh the bowl season was its own reward it was a mystery where would your team finish you know, and it mattered, you know, to get up at the end because that the whole debate in college football was around the polls, which made a lot more of these games meaningful because it did matter to people if you finished 14th or finished 10th. But now that you have a playoff, it, it doesn't really matter. It's it's the same reason why no one looks at the no one no one looks at what the what the final college basketball ratings are. I you know, John, I could tell you every Michigan season what their final college football rating was. I can tell you every Michigan season what they if they made the NCAA tournament or not and how far they got in basketball, but I couldn't tell you most of the most of what their final rankings in college basketball were. Could you tell me that about Iowa? No, no. No, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you have a tournament. And that's where we're at now with football. So if, if we're going to do this, to me, I think we're better off. If you're going to expand the playoff, to me, you're just better off than embracing it wholeheartedly and and just becoming a tournament sport. 16, you got to have, you can't, you got to reward more than 16 teams, though. So you do a 32-team playoff. Best 32 teams make it. Start it in early December, mid-December. And you go until mid-January. Um, we've got the Big Twelve, Big Ten rather, with fourteen teams. The Pac-12 with twelve. The SEC has fourteen teams. How many are in the ACC at present? Uh, there's fourteen teams in the ACC. Okay, but does that not count Notre Dame, right? That does not count Notre Dame as a as a football member, right? Okay, so if you have four major conferences, you're probably looking at sixteen. For each, correct? I agree. Yeah. Yep. So that's 
um, 16, 32, that's 64 teams. So we'd need two here, two there, four there, and two there, six. That means 10 teams, 10 teams get, um, get the last invite into the Power Four conferences. Do you think any present members, and the reason I'm asking this is because when I wrote this article, or will in the future, write this article and tease the headline, I want to maybe bring some Iowa State eyeballs or earballs into this as well. Do you think Iowa State fans have reason to be worried that they might not be, uh, they might not have a seat when the musical chairs and the music is done playing? Well, I go back to what happened in 2010. And what was it? Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State. And there was one other school. Was it TCU? Well, 2010, it would have been Missouri. No, Missouri was gone to the SEC. I mean, I mean, 2010 when they were when they were going to do the absorption, the merge with the Pac-10. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. And there was this group of schools that were going to be left behind in that endeavor, um, who were trying to figure out what their leverage point was. And I think it's those exact same. And yeah, well, Steve can't straight at basketball, guys. I mean, this is something we'll talk about in a future podcast, but right. Tom Izzo and Michigan State, one of the most viable national brands and fan bases in college basketball. They can't hold Mark D'Antonio and Michigan State football's jockstrap in terms of revenue. Okay? Yeah. yeah, Indiana football makes as much as Indiana basketball. Yeah, it's just and, – and I know Kansas football is terrible, but, you're, but it's the same issue in that – Overall, basketball simply just doesn't bring enough in that that now that that, that 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 that's enough to bring a program in. Now, what I could see basketball being a tiebreaker. I could be. You look at academically, Iowa State is considered a better school than Texas Tech. Um, academically, it's it's uh, it's on par with uh, Kansas. So if, if you're down to those two schools, and you know they're both AAU schools as well, say if you're the Big Ten, I could see uh, now Kansas's basketball prowess becomes a factor as a secondary factor. Right. Meaning, if you, you, that's your tiebreaker, but that alone isn't doesn't save you because this is all about football. So I think those schools that were on the that were you know um, on the outside looking in, and then I throw a UConn in. Uh, which is considered a national brand in basketball, but not in football. Those schools in the in, in the in the Big 12 that were going to be left behind in the pack, the proposed Pac-12 merger, and UConn, a couple of those schools are going to be left out. Because I think I, I think I figured I think I did this once, and I figured out three two or three of them will be left behind. I think it is. It's just a matter of which three it will be. Yeah. And by that time, Bill Snyder won't be coaching football at Kansas State. That's exactly right. Kansas State academically is not a good school. Iowa State is considered its superior academically. Now, BYU, in terms of national brand and academics, is superior to every school we just talked about. UConn, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State. Not even close, actually. But um, private religious school. And, you know, in today's political climate on college campuses, frankly, I'm not sure how much of a... Um, how much of a mood there is to accommodate, you know, not playing on Sunday and some of those matters. So, you know, that's just where we are culturally. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm, I don't agree with it. I'm just saying I don't agree with, you know, blizzards either, but I can't stop it from snowing, you know. So it is what it is. That, that's, that, that's a mark against BYU. You know, in fact, in fact, they will never admit this. 
But I think the number one reason the Big 12 did not expand to save itself last year is the, is the, is the, is the leftist protests against adding BYU because they were by far the most marketable brand available. In fact, BYU is a better brand than half of the teams in the Big 12 are right now. There's no question. Okay. And I think, I think the protests by leftist groups against BYU, and then you're left with Cincinnati and, and somebody else, it's just, just – it doesn't justify it. I think that's why they said no. They didn't. They, they could. They didn't want to deal with the PC police, and BYU was by far the only value that brought fans and eyeballs. See, that's Don't. the conundrum the Big Twelve is in. You know, that's. I mean, listen. Texas has not had an offensive lineman drafted in the NFL since 2000. Yeah, that's staggering. That's not only that. That, that blew me away when you texted that to me the other day, but. When you also look at their their performance over the last four or five years, hell, like what they give up for five hundred yards rushing to BYU a couple of years ago, um, yep. and, and their overall NFL draft lack of success in recent years, you almost have to intentionally try to be that bad at Texas to have such results. Well, you look at I mean, more players were drafted out of the non Power Five American Athletic Conference in the Big Twelve. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. That's. I mean, Alabama. Amazing. Alabama had more players drafted, I think, through the first three rounds in the entire Big Twelve. So, the Big Ten's um, yet to be announced new television contract runs through twenty twenty four, six years. That is when a lot of these grant of rights things um, basically expire. Do you think we'll see? Early announcements from some Big 12 teams uh, pursuant to their new homes when? 2021, 2022, even though they'll still be with the league for a few more years because the Big 12 will own their Tier 1 rights, so you're not going to leave before you um, have those? I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, listen, I think with the Big 12, anything is possible. All right, this is, this is a league that goes out and invites schools and their athletic departments to send them prospectuses and yes. proposals and Skype interviews about joining the league and then doesn't invite anybody to join the league. Okay. I mean, this, this is a league that, this is a league that in, in, at one point in time last year in a two week span said that they, they were about to implode because they, because they, because ESPN or they said, they said that their finances, this is all happened last summer in two weeks. Our finances are great. We don't need a network. And then ESPN announces the ACC network. Well, if we don't get a network, we're going to implode. And so that's why we need to expand. To We're not going to expand, and we don't need a network, and now we're making 30-some-odd million more per team. That all happened in two weeks, okay? That tells me your business model probably is on shaky ground. Okay, so I think anything is possible. I do. And I think that the amount... What's really killing, I mean, John, the top 10 players in Texas this year in high school, nine of them, nine of them left the state or signed with Texas A&M who's in the SEC. The only one that signed with a Big 12 school signed with TCU, a wide receiver. So, That's amazing. Yeah, well, I, and I think this, I don't think it's a coincidence this has all happened with A&M going to the SEC as well. Because that we talked about this back in the back in the day on KXNO. 
The whole SEC can now go in and recruit Texas. I mean, they could before. But now you're not a foreigner. Now you're part of the conference. Now, hey, our games are on statewide anytime we want. You know? So they are – they're really – they're really – they're locked in. And if, if, let's, if, if Oklahoma loses to Ohio State September 18th, what are the odds they get in the playoffs no matter how, how many how, – how, no matter how they dominate the Big 12? And let's say they do. Do they get in the playoff, do you think? I don't think so. Do you? No? No. I don't think no. so. I mean, no. let's, let's, let's give a scenario. Okay? okay. Last, Last spot in the playoffs. playoffs. 11-1, 12-1 Oklahoma wins a Big 12 championship. And what kind of a league has a conference championship game without divisions, by the way? Who, who the hell does that? That makes no sense at all. Okay. So they, they have a conference championship game. Oklahoma wins. They go 12-1. But, but they lose at Ohio State 31-17. But that's their only loss. And, I mean, they, their average victory margin in the, in the Big 12 is, is 14, 21 points against and it's And they're 12-1. And, and let's say USC is 11-2 at the end of the year. Uh, uh, and and, and uh, uh, played, played and they won the Pac-12. The Pac-12. Who's getting in the playoffs? I would think there'd be a lot of support for USC over Oklahoma. I agree. I completely agree with that. Yeah. I mean, a game that's likely going to decide whether. Well, Steve, well, they, Oklahoma got in the playoff the first year. You know, they got in the playoff the first year. What non-conference game did they win on the road first year at Tennessee? Remember that? That was a big win for them. Mm-hmm. They don't win that game. You think Oklahoma's in the playoffs? Nope. No. Playoffs. No, they're not. That's why, they, that's why they won the conversation last year. They played two non-conference games that mattered. They got killed in both of them, Houston and uh, um, Houston and, um, and Ohio State. When your conference's ability to make the playoff hinges on a game that's not even in your conference, your conference is freaking toast. <laughs> that right there might be the best line of the night because it's so true. And... Um, I think when something like that happens over the course of the next four to five years, which the chances of that happening are pretty decent, could happen this coming season. When that happens, I believe that OU, President Boren, uh, Texas, whomever, they're going to say, you know what, that's it. Let's, uh, let's, start, let's start figuring out where we're going when this is all over. No question about it. You, you know I'm a big Jamie Pollard fan. You know that. I've always liked Jamie. I've not talked to him in years, but you know – I still sit here. I'm, we're doing this. I'm doing this with you from my man cave, and I still have the housewarming gift that he bought me when we moved in here 11 years ago, which was a framed miniature of that phenomenal road sign he put up over there in uh, Johnson County. Remember that state champs? Remember that back in the day? Yes. I love Jamie. So what I'm about to say isn't a criticism. It's a. It's an encouragement. Let me do some. Let me do some consulting for Jamie on trends. Like I do, like politicians pay me to do for them. Yeah, and I hear, I hear he's a regular listener to this podcast, so he's probably got a pen and paper. Is right? he? No. Are, yeah, are being, you serious? Be, I'm being totally that. facetious. Yeah. Okay. If he, yeah, if okay. he were, then he's more thin-skinned than I thought. Well, here's, my, here, here's, here's what I would tell him to do. Stop investing in your football program. Pour all of your resources that this league is providing you right now in the next five years into your men's basketball program. 
And that's where you have a foothold. That's where you have a national brand, a national identity. That's where you can win championships. Now, why do I say that? Because, Steve, you just told us basketball does, is nothing from a revenue standpoint compared to football. Correct. Doesn't but, matter in the Big 12. It, but, but here's the thing. Most men and most causes fail because they make the mistake of trying to compensate for their weaknesses instead of accentuating their positives. All right? So the reality is, just as basketball for Kansas isn't the reason you're going to put them in, in the realignment to come, but could very well be the reason that if you're looking for, I can't make up my mind between Kansas and Kansas State and Texas Tech and Iowa State, but you know what? Kansas gives me a value added. Those schools don't. Bam, basketball, they're in. Not to mention, you know what? Uh, if we're going to do this, these super conferences, someone's got to be the bottom feeder that gets their ass kicked, right? So we got to have some wins on the schedule. So they can beef us up in basketball, and they can be our tackling dummy every, every October. If I were running Iowa State, if I love I love Iowa State, you know that I love the Cyclones, okay. But if you're in a league, if you're Iowa State and you haven't won a conference title since 1912, and and you're on campus stadium, what is it has the fourth largest has the fourth largest um, capacity in elite in the league? That league's probably not going to make it, guys. Okay, and I'd say the same thing for Iowa. I mean, given Iowa's population base, they got far more tradition than Iowa State does. But given Iowa's population base, if Iowa were in a power conference with its population base, with the fourth largest capacity stadium, probably not going to make it. Get out of that. That league doesn't have a future. Right. And now you're talking Iowa State has the same demographics as Iowa, but less tradition. So here's what I would do at Iowa State. Stop doing bells and whistles for football. Your football brand is what it is. Now, I think Matt Campbell's doing a, a decent job rebuilding things from what I saw last year. And the recruiting seems to be getting better. I think there's an outside chance they could get to six wins this year, I think. But that's your ceiling, probably. Because you're in a league that won't go back to divisions. Won't you'll, You have to play around Robin. It, you, systemically, the odds you're going to be a 7-9 to nine win team consistently just really aren't there, probably, under this format. And the more you continue to invest in a football program that underperforms from a WNL standpoint, that's overcompensating for your weaknesses. To me, the brand that makes Iowa State, that differentiates Iowa State from Kansas State, from Texas Tech, that it's going to be in this pool of teams that are playing musical chairs, waiting for the music, like making sure they got a place to sit when the music stops here in the 10 years, they need value added. What are their, what's Iowa State's value added? Kansas has one because of a, it's a national elite men's basketball program. Iowa State isn't Kansas, but it's probably the second best basketball program in the Big 12 last four or five years. I pour my, rev, my resources into that. I have tremendous fan support, one of the best buildings in America. I'd make it a state-of-the-art Taj Mahal, practice facilities and the like. I would make that my goal the next five years because I need a value added to sell people on and the reality is if Matt Campbell does a really good job here and breaks through he probably won't be the football coach here for when the, the next game of musical chairs begins and the guy that built you rebuilt your brand is gone you need something that is consistent if you look at Iowa State not many schools can say this in the last 30 years Johnny Orr Tim Floyd, 
Larry Eustachie, Wayne Morgan, Fred Hoiberg, and now um, um, uh, Steve, Steve Prohm. That's six coaches have taken him to NCAA tournaments in the last 30 years. Not a lot of Power 5 schools can say that. That means you have systemic levels of success. That means you have a program that has systemic success ability. That's your tiebreaker if you're Iowa State. That's your value added. Because at Iowa State, to me, my number one goal, number one, if I were Jamie, Jamie Pollard, I'd get up every morning and ask myself, how do I make sure we have a chair to sit in when the music stops? That's all I care about. All right? And to me, getting Iowa State back to where it's consistently competing for the Independence Bowl, which would be great, and I went to some those games with, with Mac back in the day. To me, that's not the value added that gets you over the top, though. It just isn't. You gotta put, you're going to need something else, another enhancement. So what's the next – what's the best possible value added for the Cyclones, John? It's basketball. I would be investing those – because if I get into the power four – then I'll have the resources I need then to go back and reinvest in football from there. But I've got to have my ticket, my golden ticket get punched to get in there. And I just think having a maybe best-case scenario, six and seven win football team, might, might do it, might, I don't know. But to me, that's no different than Texas Tech. That's no different than Kansas State. That's no different than anybody else. What is it that I can do that no one else can do? Well, those schools can't prove, have proven they can't be a consistent top 20 college basketball team. Iowa State's won three of the last four Big 12 tournaments. The list of schools in college basketball that have won three of the last four power conference tournaments is a really small one. I don't know. They might be the only name on it, as far as I know. I don't know. That's what I would be worried. I would be accentuating my strengths, okay? Not worrying, not worrying about compensating for my weaknesses. Not a bad strategy. Still, you have it, Iowa State fans, through you, Bone, as well. Um, this might be our longest podcast we've ever done, but uh, some pretty important things, I think, for the future of things that we all really enjoy. We'll see how much of this comes to fruition. Back at it again next week. For Steve, I'm John. We will talk to you then.